Good afternoon, yes. Thank you. Remember, it's Sabbath. We're resting, right? You're in no hurry to get anywhere. Which means I'm in no hurry, because I've had two granola bars before this service, so all right. You think I'm joking, but I have. Um, John, where's John? Is John in John? Uh, got a little gift for you. It's, uh, it doesn't look like it, but it's a 100-pound kettlebell. See how easy, easy I'm lifting this? No. <laughs> little something in your certificate. And uh, love you, John. Blessings being with you. I told John that he has a lot more muscle mass than I realized. Because when I went down, I thought he was going to be lighter. <laughs> and I thought, oh man, this is like a clean and jerk. I got to like get this, get the proper knees, don't hurt my back. He's got a lot more muscle there than you thought. No. I had to make, and then I had to make sure I got you all the way under because I didn't want you to think it didn't count. You know, we had to do it over. So we were joking a little bit earlier because uh, in CrossFit they have what they call AMRAPs, as many rounds as possible. So I said, so as far as the baptism goes, how many rounds can I do in 60 seconds? We'll see if that, <laughs> check your cardiovascular. Uh, but uh, I don't think he was up for that. Uh, well, we are in our, um, our last sermon on the series of the parables. And uh, we have uh, been journeying through the stories of Jesus. Uh, no better storyteller, amen? No greater, no greater Lord for that matter. No greater teacher. And um, today we are looking at a parable that, that all three synoptic gospels tell, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but we're going to look at Luke's version. I'll, I'll kind of refer to Matthew's at one point, but, but we're going to look at Luke's version. And uh, today, which I think kind of appropriate um, to end with this parable, although we really could end on any of the parables of Jesus because they're all amazing, but today in particular... We're going to talk about power and authority. Now, those are some pretty heavy words. Some people, you say power, and they start to cringe. Or they start to go, yeah. You talk about authority, and some people get a little nervous. And some people go, yeah, authority. Now, if you really like authority, you really get excited when you see red lights flashing behind you (laughs) as you're driving, right? Yes, authority. I love living under the authority of the police, right? Well, you ought, to, you ought to, because just think if we didn't have the police. It could be really ugly. It just doesn't feel good when you're doing something wrong, right? But today we are going to talk about power and authority and how Jesus deals with power and authority and what he has to say about power and authority. I want to start by sharing with you a little something I found on power. I shared it actually at the business meeting on Monday, so, but I thought I'd share it again since, since most of you are here and weren't necessarily there, which is okay, it's not a bad thing, but um, let me just share this with you. In the early 1970s, a psychologist named David Kipnis wanted to know if power really does corrupt people. So in a series of experiments, Kipnis had subjects assume the role of manager, quote unquote, over a group of employees in a fictitious work situation. In some cases, Kipnis gave the managers very little power. In other cases, the managers had considerable power. They decided whether employees were fired, transferred, or promoted. The bosses with more power were more likely to use coercive or strong tactics, such as criticizing employees, making demands, and displaying anger. 
They were more dismissive of, of an employee's performance and tended to credit themselves for their employee's success. Powerful bosses were also more likely to keep a psychological distance between themselves, let me see if this thing's coming loose, and their employees. Kipnis concluded that having power inflates our sense of self and makes us less able to empathize with those lacking power. Now here's where it gets fun and interesting. In another 2012 study, another researcher named Paul Piff had subjects play a two-person game of Monopoly in which power was intentionally skewed. I kind of like these rules, actually. Maybe uh, my family would like to play it this way with me. One player was given a wad of cash and the use of both dice, while the other player received only half the cash and one die. Sounds fair. Within minutes, the subjects with more cash and dice, the high-status players, he called them, began acting noticeably different. They hogged the space at the table, made less eye contact, and took more liberties, such as moving the, slow st the low status player's game pieces for them. They also made more noise when they moved their own pieces. Everyone knew the game was rigged, and yet within a few minutes, the roles crystallized, and the high status players started pushing people around and acting like they had real power and status. Now that never happens to you when you play Monopoly, does it? Not when you're losing anyways. Of course, my family loves playing Monopoly with me because when I'm winning, I just stay really humble and say, I'm really sorry that you owe me all that money. How are you going to pay me when you don't have any? Oh, just give me your hotels. I try to say it in love, but it doesn't come across that way. The conclusion of both experiments, a little bit of power really does corrupt ordinary people, even when it's just a game. Power and authority. I would like to suggest to you this morning that Life is really all about power and authority. What we do with it and who's we live, who we live under in that authority. Jesus today tells a story answering a question about authority. We're going to look at Luke chapter 20 verses 9 through 19. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But I'm not going to jump there quite yet. I want to set it up a little bit. I want to give a little bit of context to our situation so you understand where Jesus has been and what's happening. In chapter 19, Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. He comes in on the colt, and people are praising him. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples, I tell you. He replied, if they, kept quiet, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is what we refer to as his triumphal entry into Jerusalem as he moves towards the cross. And as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it, longing for them to be right with God and for them to receive him as their Lord, their authority for their life, the power for their life. Jesus then moves on to the temple. And when he entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And every day he was teaching at the temple. But the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. If they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. The religious leaders were getting very frustrated with Jesus because he had this authority, he had this, all, this power that the people seemed to really like and appreciate and long for. 
And they were losing their power and their authority to Jesus. So they finally confront him about this question of authority. As Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, or the Sanhedrin, came up to him, tell us by what authority you are doing these things. They said, who gave you this authority? See, it's about authority, power. And you got to love Jesus because he always knows how to teach a lesson. So Jesus replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? What authority was his baptism? Let's see what you say. Well, they discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know where it was from. And Jesus said, can you just imagine his face and their faces when he said this? Neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. <laughs> Jesus then goes on and he tells the parable that we're going to look at today. So the whole thing leading up to this parable is this question about authority and about power. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gives you the right? Who gives you this power? And they did not like that they were losing their power, their authority, in the status, in the politics, in the power of things. So Jesus answers their question, but notice in verse 9, he went on to tell the people this parable. Now remember, those leaders are still there, but now he's talking to the people knowing that the leaders are listening. A man planted a vineyard and rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. And Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law, remember they were listening, the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. Power and authority. That's the question, power and authority. God had come to the people of Israel, of Judah, to the Jews, and he released them from the bondage and slavery of Egypt. And through many years, finally came to the promised land, and they were nobody. They were not a people, and he made them a people. 
He made them a precious vineyard. Isaiah 5 talks about the vineyard of the Lord as the people of God. It says, I will sing for the one I love a song about this, his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but he only saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. He had saved the people of Israel and Judah. And they began to see that him, God saving them was like the special right that they had instead of now having a special responsibility. That he had called them to be a special people because they were so special, but yet he had called them to be a special people because he was asking them to now share his love for the world and to begin working with him to put things back to right in the world, to bring justice. As I read, remember hearing this, he looked for justice but saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness but heard cries of distress. Those in power were not taking care of the people who needed help. Those in power were only caring for themselves. Just using the money and the taxes and everything for their own wealth and for their own gain. And God said, I've done this for you. Why are you doing this? You're my precious vineyard. You're supposed to bear fruit so my goodness can go into the world and to all of humanity but you're keeping it for yourself. See, the problem was that they, they began to think so special of themselves that they began to for, forget that they were stewards and they began to think that they themselves were the owner of all this goodness, that they owned everything. They lost the sight. That's the longest amen I've ever heard. <laughs> they began to lose sight of the fact that they weren't the master, that they weren't God. So much so that when the Son of Man came, out of the love of the Father, they killed him because he was ruining everything they were trying to build and establish. Jesus said in Matthew's account, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. As Adventists, we also believe that when Stephen was stoned in the book of Acts, the gospel then went forward to all the Gentiles and it went beyond the Jews, the people of Israel, leading in the gospel commission. When Jesus was born, Mary brought him to the temple and Simeon said these powerful words, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Church, I want to suggest to you today that the greatest thing we can do with our lives 
is put our lives under the authority of Jesus Christ, under his lordship, under him as God and Lord Almighty, that everything he says, that everything he taught, everything he brought to life of the scriptures is the greatest authority we can have over our lives, now and forever. See, I believe basically in this life we will, we will submit to one of three authorities. Now, it's not always perfectly that clean, but I believe that I will either submit myself solely to myself and let myself be my own authority, and that's a scary place to be because that's very subjective. Or I will submit myself to another authority, whether it's friends, other influences, the culture, society, whatever that may be, love of money, you, you, you can fill in the blank. Or I can sit my, submit myself to the powerful, gracious, loving authority of God through Jesus Christ. And to me, that's a no-brainer. But you gotta trust him. You see, and the great thing about Jesus, the great thing about Jesus is that he came to show us what the authority of the Father looks like. Because the religious leaders weren't conveying that very well. And Jesus came to show us this is what the Father is like. You want to know how the Father rules, how God rules? It looks like Jesus. Now, sometimes I think we, we don't quite understand Jesus in that it, it makes me tremble sometimes when I hear people talking about just Jesus. And let me say what I'm, say what I'm saying. <laughs> when people say there's more than Jesus, it makes me nervous. Because Jesus is the full authority of God in the flesh. He is the word of God incarnate. And Jesus says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. How much authority? All. Not some, not most, but all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. But let me say this. If we honestly submit to the authority of Jesus Christ, it's not always comfortable. Yes, we will feel love and compassion. And I hope we feel unconditionally loved. And I hope we feel the mercy of God. But the good news about Jesus is that he also tells the truth. Now, you know, some of us, and maybe you like friends like this. Do you like friends that just tell you things that make you feel good? Sometimes, right? Sometimes there are days you want to go, don't tell me the truth. Just tell me something that will make me feel good because yesterday was rough, right? But ultimately, we want a friend. We want family members who tell us the truth in love but tell us things so that we live in reality and we grow. The wonderful thing about Jesus is that he loves us enough that he tells us the truth and he tells us we're sinners in need of a God. He tells us the truth that we don't know our way around this world. We don't know really how to live this life, but he does. So come follow me, he says. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the only authority you can trust your life with. And I am the only authority that when you come to me and you come to the feet of the cross, I won't leave you where I found you. I have the authority to bring power into your life through the presence of the Holy Spirit to transform your heart and your mind. 
You see, whoever has authority of our life is shaping our will. And the will is where it all happens. And I don't want many things in this culture and society shaping my will. But I sure want Jesus to. Because Jesus is the only one that can shape it in a way that's gentle and healthy and real and right. And he's the only one who has more power to take me beyond myself. Jesus alone can do that. Jesus said that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, I don't, I'm not a good builder. I'll tell you that right now. You can ask my family. You can ask my wife. I'm not a good builder. Um, we always joke because in one of my baby pictures, there's a hammer on my leg, but I'm not, it's not in my hand because I just wasn't created for that. I can swing a hammer, but don't be near me, Okay. But what I understand about a cornerstone is that that is a larger stone than the rest of the stones. And it's in the corner because it gives foundation, it gives strength to the building. And it's what all the other, the walls are lined up and take their angles from. And Jesus says that, that he is the cornerstone. But they've rejected it. And so the building of their lives is going to be a mess. But if we build our lives on him as our cornerstone, as our authority for the foundation and the strength of our life and for to take all of our angles for life on and what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is going to build us up and transform us and bring justice into this world through our lives, through his kingdom reign over our lives, it's through Jesus. It's a relationship with Jesus. Come follow me. He says, though, in verse 18, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. I like what one commentator said, Alan Culpepper. God is sovereign and God will prevail, not human sinfulness. Aren't you glad human sinfulness will not prevail in this world? But the reign of God will. God's purposes will not be defeated. Daniel interpreted a revelation from King Nebuchadnezzar in which we see the final act. If you remember, some of you have heard the story of the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had in Babylon and, and the image of the world powers in Babylon and Greece, Medo-Persia and Rome and so forth. And Finally, there's this rock, and I'm just bringing it where the rock is. And Daniel says, While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. In the time of those kings, the the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. God's kingdom alone is the one that will be standing in the end. God's kingdom alone is the one that can take care of sin and evil in this world. And I am happy, and I praise God that through Jesus Christ, sin will not have the final word. But God, through the authority of Jesus Christ, will have the final word in this earth's history. Dallas Willard said this statement. Now I'm gonna say it, 
And for most of us here, it might make you go, ah. But just hold it, and then you'll go back to normal position, all right? God is never mean, but he is dangerous. Just think about that for a second. God is never mean, but he is dangerous. He went on to say, and used the example of electricity. Electricity is not mean, but it's dangerous. We have to remember, church, the wonderful thing about the church is that we have God Almighty as our authority and our king. We need to respect that authority because he's God. The very God that created you as a human being, the very God that creates the sun, the moon, stars, the universe, and more beyond we can imagine, the very God that brings the seasons about, he's God. He is all-loving and he is all-powerful. See, the problem is, is when human beings start taking position and power too seriously. Start acting like it's ours and like we own it. There is no power at all, in my opinion, than the power of God through Jesus Christ. We're all stewards. We're all farmhands who are fortunate enough to get invited into the kingdom and to serve in the kingdom to see great things happen through the love of God and through the love of Christ. The problem is when we, when we come into things and we start thinking, I have a lot of authority and I have a lot of power. And it happens in the church too, doesn't it? Now, I have a fancy title called senior pastor or the hip term is lead pastor. And I, uh, we always joke around on staff, you know, when there's certain situations that, that I will, will be dealing with. And they'll say, well, you know, that's what they pay you the extra $20 a month for. You know? And then I uh, use my power, if you will, when there's something that uh, I don't want to do and I want someone else to do, I'll say, you're going to do that, and that's what they pay me the extra $20 a month for, <laughs> to tell you to do that. But it's funny, you know, as a, as a senior pastor, when I first became a senior pastor, I don't know, 12 plus years ago, and uh, in San Diego, in North San Diego County, it's pretty casual. Um, you know, I wore like a nice shirt, nice pants, and uh, as an associate pastor. And uh, when I became senior pastor, I started wearing a suit and tie. And um, I noticed all these guys who never wore a suit in their life that I saw wear a tie started wearing suit and ties. And I'm like, what's up with the suit and the tie? And they're like, well, my wife said you're wearing one, so I need to wear one. <laughs> now we know where the authority and the power are, right? And I said, well, you know, really, the only reason I'm wearing this is because Lisa likes to see me in a suit and a tie, and the only time she gets to see that is on Saturdays. So now you know where the authority and power are in, in our house as well. But people start acting different. Things happen with this authority and this power. Church, there's going to be, in my belief, no institution that's going to stand the test of time. The kingdom of God alone will stand to the end of time. And anybody who wants to stand to the end of time is going to have as their cornerstone the rock Jesus Christ. Not an organization, not an institution, the kingdom of God, the rock that was cut without human hands. See, the gospel is, yes, Jesus forgives us. Thank God for that because we all need it desperately. 
But the rest of the gospel is also that we get to live under the authority of God through Jesus Christ. Not have to suffer with living under our, our own authority or someone else's, but we can live under the authority of God today. That's why the kingdom of God is now and not yet, which you're going to hear more of coming in August. But the kingdom of God is now and not yet because I can live under the authority of God now and trust what he has to say about life through the scriptures and I get to enjoy it forever, face to face, fully, without any sin. That's why the kingdom is now and not yet. Living under the authority and the reign of God. Isaiah 28, 16 says this. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. I think it appropriate for us to end our series today with this parable with some questions for us to ask ourselves. What are we doing with the Son? What are we doing with the Son of God? He has come to offer us the wonderful gift of living under His authority. And He can be trusted. Our lives can be fully trusted in His hands. What are we doing with the vineyard? What are we doing with the things of the kingdom God has asked us to take care of and to bear fruit so others may come into the kingdom and so others may enjoy the fruit of the Spirit, so others may experience justice? What about some of those relationships, maybe some of the parental relationships, relationships with kids, kids' relationship with parents, friends, spouses, coworkers, God wants those things put back to right. Let us not be lost in our careers. Let us not be lost in our jobs. Let us not be lost in our money. Let us not be lost in our achievements because all of those make horrible authorities for our life. The good news, church, is that Jesus offers to be our authority all the way into eternity. Let's pray. Jesus, how good it is to live under your authority, to live under your power. We truly want you to be the glory and the power forever and ever in our lives. There's peace when you are the authority. There's rest. There's grace. There's truth. And there's power. Power to heal. Power to restore power to make things right. May we trust your words when you told us that if we abide in your words, we are truly living under your authority. We're your disciples and we will know the truth and the truth will set us free because there is no authority under heaven that can set us free but you, Jesus. Take a moment now just in silent prayer to talk to Jesus this morning.